1: Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 3rd, 2010. For the newcomers, I do suggest you go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com websites. You can download hundreds of talks I've given over the past for free. And while you're at it, bookmark the other sites I have up here because sometimes the com site goes down or I can't upload to it. And if it's an alternate site, you can always download. The latest show is Monday to Friday whenever you want to. And also look into what I have for sale. I have books for sale that I've written. There's DVDs and CDs for sale as well. That helps me just tick over. I don't use advertisers to back me or companies to back me who are selling products. So it's up to you to keep me going, and you can do so by finding out so what I have for sale and how to donate as well at cuttingthrothematrix.com websites. Remember, on these sites, you can download the audios and all the sites, including the European site. You can download all the audios for free. You can download uh, uh, English transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given for prints up from all the sites. But you can also do- download the audios and uh, the transcripts in foreign languages, other languages of Europe, from the European site, that's Eu, And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, personal checks are good because we're all one country now. We share the same area code and uh, or country code. And um, you can also use an international postal money order from your post office if you don't want to go through the bank. Uh, that's also traced and tracked, so you can't lose it. You can send cash, or you can use PayPal, MoneyGram, or Western Union. Now, PayPal says donate, but just send me the appropriate donation and a separate email with your email address, uh, your address, and your mailing address, I should say, and your name and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world: uh, MoneyGram, Western Union, cash, or PayPal for donating and for ordering. And that's how it's done. Now, lots of folk don't use a computer now. They're fed up with it. And I don't blame them with all the upgrades and and so on. You have to do it all the time. That's all gone once the cloud comes in and the cloud will hold all your data. The whole world's data will be on the cloud. And that's so that the NSA can track you all and manage you and punish you if you're a bad boy or girl because you won't get access to it for a certain amount of time. That is definitely on the cards for coming down the road. Social approval, social disapproval, punishment and reward. But in the meantime, they're upgrading so many programs that people have a hard time keeping up with them all. It seems to be every other month they keep upgrading things to make anything work. This is intentional. When things become very complicated, you'll breathe a sigh of relief. When they say, well, the cloud's here, we do it all for you. And you'll say, my God, thank you very much, cloud. Uh, And away you go. You're on it before you know it. Now, for those who get the disc burned and passed to them, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, E S T A I R E, Ontario, Canada, and the postal code is P, as in Peter. The number three, E for Elizabeth. The number four, N for Nora, and the number one. P3E4N1. Uh, now that's, uh, that's that done. Uh, I always like to talk about perception and how we're really managed. Most folk don't know they're managed in society, they don't know that there are massive organisations uh, like the, even the fashion industry or the music industry and of course the whole uh, conglomerate of the commercial interests behind it all which give you what you end up thinking is actually you, how you behave, dress and even what you sing or think. I'll be back with more after these messages about this topic. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix. The Matrix really is is, is symbolic, again from the movie, very well done, Uh, symbolism, lots of allegories in there and analogies. But it's really, it's, it's your whole version of reality. And even as you grow older too, you go through different layers of that reality. As you change and you find out who you are, it takes a long time for people to find out who they are. And that's called maturity. You mature gradually. And if you can get to maturity, it's only because you analyze yourself, and you're honest with yourself, and you look over your life, and you say, I fell for this, and I fell for that, and I did the wrong thing here and the wrong thing there, and you, you, you realize you, you've been an idiot at times. And you, you realize you can't repeat those mistakes, because they don't bring anybody any happiness, and they're non-productive. And eventually you get some kind of wisdom. And just when you think you've seen the light, you, you die and that's it. You're, you're gone. And at one time you see the older folk would pass the wisdom on to the younger and elderly people were referenced, referenced in some societies, um, because of their wisdom. Uh, it's a pity that they destroyed that in the Western cultures over a period of time. Britain was one of the first countries to try this because Britain really was run by uh, experimental psychologists and various organizations, very well funded organizations through the big foundations as so one big laboratory in a sense. Um, they were the first group, uh, country to really try of uh, moving people off en masse out of the country into the new slum cities to work the factories for the industrial era. And they did a lot of experimenting with different uh, groups of peoples to to see how long they could keep them alive, working in these slave conditions, 16 hours a day, or down the mines, for instance. And uh, And they kept incredible records on everything. Britain really is one of the amazing countries for keeping records on all these different peoples that they used, employees going back for a couple of hundred years even. Even the people they used to, uh, from other countries When they exported And they brought in uh, Africans to certain countries to, to populate them And be their workers Initially starting as slaves And then when they did away with slavery They called them servants or indentured servants Where you, you sold yourself into a form of bondage for a wage If you worked on an island for a couple of years The only thing is it didn't take them back from those, those islands And there's been some dec- documentaries recently About how these people have been so shabbily treated and even kicked off islands uh, recently, or I should say back in the 60s, to make way for an American base. That was one very good documentary done on that. But the, the, they went to the British records, and they had the names and addresses and the, the ages of birth and the genealogies of every one of these people they brought in from Africa uh, 150 years ago or even beyond. Amazing records. And they have done so many studies on uh, sociology, you might say, and specialized studies on on experiments with groups over the centuries. They've got down to a great art. And what they really do know, and they've always known, is that the great amount of people in any society, even if you're brought into society that was not normal 20, 30, 40 years ago, then those growing up in that society will think it's all quite normal. They'll, they'll come into quite normal, and their children definitely will never question it, their offspring. An example of, of that is the very fact that lots of people moved off their lands, as I say, from the agricultural era and into the cities that were forced off their lands. Because uh, the Rothschilds did, if you go into the history books, uh, he went into a house of lords and he brought forth the corn law which had now allowed foreign companies, again run by his um, relatives in France and elsewhere, to dump their their produce on Britain, and that put all these small farmers out of business overnight. They couldn't compete. So they moved into the cities as planned and became the slaves for a long, long period of time, Uh, and the carnage was awful, the the conditions was awful, 20-tier rooms sometimes we were crammed, crammed into in these places. Uh, A horror story. Even Benjamin Franklin commented on it when he went over there. He said there's hundreds of people coming out of factories. One one factory he watched was a shoe factory. And he said that uh, not one of the workers had a pair of shoes on them. They couldn't afford the shoes they made. And they're all dirty and living in squalor and rags. That was Great Britain, you know, as it was coming up to the height of its empire. And it was an empire ruled by a few, as was Britain itself and still is today and many myths have come out of it the great British uh, idea and Hollywood did some old stuff about the great British empire and how brave it was and all that but never really got into the real conditions and the real machinations behind what was going on and who was doing it and why and who benefited and who didn't benefit but really uh, the study of societies has been going on for an awful, awful long time even in ancient times Whole populations were often moved off their land and moved to another country to to serve some other purpose of those who ruled empires. The Romans did that, and people before the Romans did that too. And what you find is that they understood in ancient times as well how to manage peoples, how to manage cultures, how to manage them into new countries and give them a new culture, which they knew as long as one generation was born within that culture They'd think it was all quite natural And then the second generation would definitely never question it That's the same as, as it goes on today We don't question anything The children of today naturally don't question um, How their parents lived or their grandparents lived In fact, they have no interest whatsoever And if their parents don't warn them That anything uh, is coming up or coming down the road That could be of harm to them in some way then they think it's natural because all mammals look to uh, an adult to warn them of its dangers and what it should be a wary of. When you have one conditioned generation and they think everything's just swell and wonderful and very altruistic people are taking care of us, then uh, the, the children of those parents will never question that. They'll think it's all quite natural. But what is also true is when we move into these new naturals, everything becomes a new normal, you see, very quickly in society. You'll find that um, most folk, like Walter Lippmann, for instance. Walter Lippmann, he was an intellectual and a a Pulitzer Prize winner. But, I mean, he wrote a book called Public Opinion in 1922. He was a good friend of, of Bernays that, again, designed the American Consumer Society. And Bernays himself was a nephew of Sigmund Freud. So, so the idea of managing whole nations of people through fashion industry, through a movie industry, um, the, the culture industry, the whole culture industry, was very essential in creating a type of people and a type of worker for a particular era. And we went through the the manufacturing uh period of that in the Western world and in the US and Canada. That's all gone now. We're in a service economy. And when I was born, it was really towards the end of the, the jobs for life idea. Parents had, they hoped, a job for life. Uh, that had been traditional since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. If you got into some kind of trade or factory or whatever, you hoped if you, if you didn't cause any trouble and you're always there and you didn't go off sick, then you hoped you could have a job for life. And the ordinary folk uh, were terrified of, of becoming uh, poor and being kicked out because in those days did, there was no welfare system. There was no uh, um, unemployment system. And uh, people literally uh, would, be, would have it drummed into them. Their, aunt, their parents would drum it into them. If you get this little job, you, you stick to that for the rest of your life, no matter how miserable it is. And they did. And the odd thing happens, too, as though even it becomes more and more miserable, and then the conditions are awful, and even if you cut back on your wages, because the ones at the top are designing or bringing in a new system, those in the old system will fight, if they can, to keep that old system, the workers themselves. Even though technically they have no say in it at all. They have no say whatsoever. Getting back to uh, Walter Lippmann. He called the masses that the great beast, the same as Alexander Hamilton did in the U.S. When he was asked about the masses, he says that the, 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 the people, sir, is a beast. He says that was a typical uh, class statement on on the lower classes from the upper classes. And let me call this great uh, Pulitzer Prize. Where he called them like, a great beast. He called them like, a bewildered herd that needed to be guided by a governing class. By the way, Arnold Schwarzenegger made a similar statement uh, about a few years ago when he was running. He said that people need uh, people like me to tell them what to do. They're too stupid to run themselves. They need people like me to tell them what to do. And Lippmann Lippmann, uh, described the ruling elite as a specialized class whose interests reach beyond the locality. And it's run by experts and specialists and bureaucrats. He called these experts the elites himself during his Pulitzer Prize speeches. And he said the bewildered masses, the herd, actually called them the herd, the bewildered herd, uh, has only one function, and they're they're just the interested spectators of action. They're, They're not in action themselves. Most folk, and that's true in the general society, and the neighbors you know and you're in the little society, community you live in, they're not action oriented for anything. They, they just, they really want things to stay the way they are. That's a natural thing. Peaceful, quiet and, and predictable, predictable in their own lives. But really, outside, everything is outside of their hands because governments make decisions all the time. Uh, governments now are international. They've all signed on to international treaties. And when something's decided in some faraway country, uh, you can find everything that happens in your own country suddenly tr- turned upside down overnight. So it, it does change all the time. And we are the bewildered herd to an extent. We're the last to be told why. Those in academia know why, because, uh, in upper academia, uh, they know why, because they get taught this stuff. But for the general people, they're not told, and the media certainly doesn't go into any depths of anything to explain anything to you whatsoever. Now, again, it's only that the responsible person who belong to this elite ruling class, and that's how Lippmann called them, the responsible person. He said that the people within the masses are irresponsible, they're they're just followers, they do what they're told. The responsible people had the right to rule and direct the direction of the world. Back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Trying to explain something in a brief period of time, which is not that complex, but there's a lot more to it. But basically it's how we go through the generations, and generations accept their own time. The time they're born into is quite natural and normal, and they're guided into the next changes, in the compliance of the next changes, by different forces, which they're generally unaware of. Uh, they're given even slight things to go for like environmentalism and this has been done for environmental purposes and that's good enough for them They go with it even though they'll pay through the nose for it and pay extra and all the rest of it and they'll never question who who benefits off that and the big businesses that benefit off it too and, and where the money goes they never question these things at all so there's a truth to the fact that most of the public are really in the dark and they're quite content to be there that is a, is a definite truth there. Most folk want to be comfortable, uh, live a good long life, uh, do the things they like to do, whatever their entertainment is or whatever, and hopefully they want to die in bed. And good luck to them if they can get to that stage these days. Um, and at to old age, that is. But anyway... We're run by experts and combinations of experts and I've mentioned the big foundations before. They really are the parallel governments. In fact, now they're officially, they they officially have members on every government's boards as advisors, scientific advisors uh, and specialist advisors. They're unelected. Exactly what the Club of Rome said they would bring in, because democracy was too cumbersome, they said there were too many conflicting parties. It's hard to get the big herd, as they call it, moving in a direction they want planned or they have planned, um, because we don't like moving. We like the way things are, generally, you see? But they've got the plans for us. And Lippmann, again, with Bernays and all these different um, people, they all knew each other, by the way. they all, And even the Huxley's corresponded to them. All these guys who were into social engineering all corresponded with each other. And they attended world meetings uh, with scientists on how to organize and bring in planned societies back in the 1920s and even before. But this is also what... Uh, Bernays, uh, not Bernays, but Sir Lipman said. Now, I've talked about the manufacture of consent before and some of the think tanks that are out there, some of the foundation think tanks and some of the foundations themselves have branches which do nothing but go across other big think tanks because they all network together on the same agenda and their specialized areas and they bring them all to consensus, getting them all on board on the same topics. Uh, so, the, so whenever they vote for something, their whole voice, all their power goes towards this or that, you see, environmentalists or, or carbon taxes or whatever it happens to be, they build consensus. And it's also very political because within those associations and within politics themselves, they smell which way the wind's going, where the power is going, where the money is going, and where their future is going, and they want to get on board too. So they have consensus with it, they consent to it as well. Lipman said back in the 1920s that the manufacture of consent is capable of great refinements no one, I think, denies. The process by which public opinions arise is certainly no less intricate than it has appeared in these pages, and the opportunities for manipulation open to anyone who understands the process are plain enough. As a result of psychological research coupled with the modern means of communication, and that was in the 20s, look what they've got now with communication, The practice of democracy has turned a corner. A revolution is taking place, infinitely more significant than any shifting of economic power. Under the impact of propaganda, not necessarily in the sinister meaning of the word alone, the old constants of our thinking have become variables. It is no longer possible, for example, to believe in the original dogma of democracy. This is in the 1920s, long before the Club of Rome, which simply followed the same mandate to this group, and, and he published that in the 1990s, that democracy was just too cumbersome and unwieldy. So he said, he said here, the old constants of our thinking have become variables. It's no longer possible, for example, to believe in the original dogma of democracy, that the knowledge needed for the management of human affairs comes up spontaneously from the human heart. Where we act on that theory, we expose ourselves to self-deception and to forms of persuasion that we cannot verify. It has been demonstrated that we cannot rely upon intuition, conscience, or the accidents of causal opinion if we are to deal with the world beyond our reach. And that was what he wrote in his book, Public Opinion. So back then, they realized, and they did work for the Royal Street for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, back then, the parallel government. They were already working to bring in a future which was bypassing democratic processes through big foundations, big money, and lobbying governments. And they even put a lot of their own members within governments still do today. And that way they can get their agenda through, because see, governments themselves are staffed with general low-level psychopaths who simply want a darn good career. Uh, if you get in politics for five years, for instance, I think it is, you can get a life pension, lifelong pension, index-related pension, great perks and all the rest of it. You also meet all the lobbyists, and often you'll become a lobbyist yourself, and you know all the politicians and high-level bureaucrats. So it's a big money thing that attracts a particular type into politics, and they are psychopathic, and Henderson, Gillespie, and other psychiatric studies have done many studies on this very topic to prove the points that they have psychopathic personalities. So that's a the type that go into politics. So therefore, they can be very well uh, managed by those in the foundations who have true purpose and lots of money. So that's really how the world is run. Uh, they've said already that uh, democracy was too cumbersome, too many competing parties. They couldn't get their big agendas through. And the public might not like it. So we're now living in a, a post-democratic era. That's what we're in now. That's what the UN is all about and IMF, and all this kind of stuff. Back with more after these messages.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. What I try to do is to show you how we've got to where we are and why all the big moves are on today to bring us into a a new planned future, a different kind of future again. And they do expect people to dig in their heels and do a lot of bitching as they're pushed into this brave new world. They already have found a lot of this happening in countries like Britain, where they now have nine garbage bins. You've got to literally sort your garbage into nine different bins now and they have chips in those bins that actually weigh the garbage and uh, re- remotely um, send the signals back to some central office somewhere. And they have the garbage police and all this kind of stuff. All this kind of ridiculous stuff going on. There's more police on the road, I think, than, than anywhere else in the world. Just uh, Putin finds out one after the other because the, the government relies upon this money. Crime pays for them. Maybe lawyers and Judges and so on make a phenomenal amount of money off off all these different fines and tickets and so on. So it's a whole new business that comes out of that, out of what's supposedly policing and keeping the peace. Big business. But it's more, more than that, much, much more than that, because you see, when you look at morality itself, morality itself comes from stable societies where through centuries and centuries people have worked out systems to keep... Uh, uh, general crime down to a, a bare minimum. And all, even ancient uh, tribes and, and so-called, so-called primitive tribes, the, I love the prim- so-called primitive tribes, the ones who are still completely self-sufficient and really don't need this system at all. In fact, if we all disappear tomorrow, some of these primitive tribes in the Amazon would still be existing quite happily in ignorance of it all and, uh, for, for another few thousand years. So how can they be called a stagnant population? They have no interest in in getting steel axes and, uh, and starting to buy things from companies. They're completely independent. They make everything they need. But in societies that we have grown up in, which are all really artificial, based on economics and economic systems and banking systems, with big armies that come out of it for conquest and empires, and we use the same excuses today as we did uh, as the Romans did. The Romans said they were going into countries because people were barbaric and, and antiquated in their laws, and they'd have to go in and civilize them, teach them civilization, bring civilization to them, uh, get taxes going, get money flowing, and get them using money for the first time, then tax it back from them for the big building projects. They love build, to build all the time, these, these guys who run the banking systems. Eternal debt is great for banks. They live on debt. They wouldn't be happy if everyone could pay off their debt immediately. It's about a business. You can't plan a future for your great-grandson if, if he's not guaranteed to be born into a system where he rules over the debt. And, and in these systems that set over the centuries figured out what was right, what was wrong for them, they always made sure that the children were looked after, for instance, Taboos against children are through all societies, right down to the so-called primitive. You take care of the children and perverts and so on who want to get at your children because see, perverts are predators and they want to get at your children and they cause a lot of harm with their various actions. I don't care how politically correct or incorrect it's supposed to be to to talk about these things today because they're trying to bring all these abnormalities into the norms and the mainstream and actually fight all those people and find them who speak out against them. So they're using law now to turn it all upside down, you see. This again didn't come because the perverts themselves had great big organizations in the past and lots of money to fight. Uh, It was because, really, that the big organizations that already were running the world a long time ago planned a future where all norms would be turned upside down for a planned society, including the abolition of marriage altogether. They even talked about special mating rights back in the 1800s when they were discussing eugenics. And how they would breed specific people together, those that should breed uh, for different classes, along the lines of Plato's Republic, in fact. So good workers, specialized workers, would be bred and interbred to get the perfect type. And the same with uh, those who, who were higher up in the manageal classes would also get born uh, bred with, with each other. Those who were scientists would get bred with each other. That kind of thing, a planned society, not where you just take a, uh, some sort of um, hormonal leap at someone because you're attracted to pheromones. That was the idea of it. And H.G. Wells, who was sent out to start off the whole idea, by his masters, because he was taught by the Huxley's uh, grandfather, Sir Thomas Huxley. He was taught in the, what he called the Red uh, Tie School. It was a revolutionary school for the world. Uh, it was the precursor of the Fabian Society. And lots of the novelists that broke out uh, and came into the 20th century were all trained there, by the way, to, because you're, you're altered in your mind and your mindset through fiction more than you are with boring lectures. And he started off the concept in the late 1800s of free love, long before the hippies came along in the 1960s. Free love. And, of course, they had a lot of fallout from that when they tried their own 20s with their drug scenes, because there was a lot of cocaine going along with the booze as well, being smuggled back and forth with Prohibition and the miniskirt and Charleston and all the rest of it, and free love. uh, They had too much of a fallout with venereal diseases. They didn't have penicillin. They didn't have all the abortion clinics and, and state-funded abortion clinics to deal with it all, and the orphanages were swelling, and children were being found in dustbins and all that kind of thing, babies were being found in dustbins. So they had to go back to the drawing board, use the tax money for research and development, and find some contraceptive, which they did. And then they reintroduced the whole thing back again in, with rock and roll, or really pop music they called it at the time, then into rock and roll, uh, the drug era, Alter perception through LSD, so you have different perceptions, and so on. And a massive culture industry you back it up and tell you what your new perceptions should be. That was all part of the destruction of the society. And that's why Khrushchev could say, when he came over to the U.S. in a visit, he said, uh, he says America will fire without us, or, or fall without us firing a shot. He said, he said it will it will collapse from within, utterly decadent. You see. And, of course, he knew that Hollywood was well at work with it, the whole culture industry was well at work with it. And he also knew, obviously, that just like um, the Rees Commission found out uh, the congressional inquest into the foundations in the U.S., and they were told that uh, uh, Norman Dodds was told by the CEOs of Ford, Carnegie, and Rockefeller Foundations that uh, their job was to... So alter the culture in America that they'd blend seamlessly that with that of the Soviet Union. A socialized culture that would accept governments and obey them. And that's what they've got to do. That's what they've got to do. And of course, it's still on the cards was abolition of the family unit and who would need to be married anymore to have children. Most marriages can't stand today. They have too much against them. They have endless entertainment where everyone's rotting around like a rabbit, you know. And uh, that's the new normal. That is the new normal. That's become the new normal. So that you can't cry anymore. That, that part's finished. It's over with for most folk. The children uh, are getting taught uh, masturbation in school at the age of five and six now via the UN and UNESCO. Because, you see, they have to abolish all taboos, all the taboos that held society together and made society strong because society that was strong would stand up against uh, government that was very intrusive or overbearing when you have nothing to stand up for and a man has nothing to stand up for at all no wife, no family, whatever then he doesn't stand up and governments will have no problems H.G. Wells went through that whole process in some of his books explaining why they were doing it and I think it was uh, 2000, the year 2000 it was, or it was actually 2001 before 9-11 happened, I think the month before, the International Census Bureau was met to discuss if, if it was time to push the envelope, were the public ready, were they degraded enough now through the, the culture industry, were they degraded enough as they push the envelope for the next step. And they actually said, and it was the newspapers in Canada and the States, right after it, Two professors gave basically the same speech that says, now that they'd won the rights for homosexuality, it was time to push for for intergenerational sex and bestiality. And bestiality. Now this is being re-pushed again in Britain by the government, by the British government, yep. And it's the Liberal Democrat Party. It's interesting too, Khrushchev also said when he was asked about communists in America. He says, Oh, in the West we don't call them communists, we call them uh, liberals. Same agendas, same groups. And this article is from the, the it's uh, it's from uh, the Christian Institute, it's called. It's from other papers as well. You'll find the same article. The Liberal Democrat uh, porn plan slammed by mums. Uh, 28th of April 2010 Liberal Democrat plans to allow 16-year-olds to watch and star in pornographic movies Have been condemned by furious mothers The controversial Liberal Democratic policy has faced intense criticism from users Of the popular parenting website Mumsnet.com one mother who identified herself as Crystal123 on the website warned many young people age 12 appear 16 or 17 and could easily end up in explicit pornography. You know, Right away, they're off the beam there. They shouldn't get into that argument. The fact is they're lowering the age regardless, and, and this is what they're promoting. You understand when adults and governments promote something, this is giving permission to, then the children feel, well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's promoted by the top. That's the real argument, folks. You see? Of course the rest of all happen. There will be 12-year-olds and so on, but that really is the intention of it all. Then she her Concerns were echoed by another Mumsnet user, Claire's Williams, 973, who said, I simply cannot vote for a party that advocates this. Well, who should vote for a party? You know who votes for parties like this, folks. She went on to warn that when her husband had phoned the local Liberal Democratic office to complain, he was told, look, I've explained the policy, and if you don't like it, uh, you don't have to vote for us. The controversial policy was passed by a large majority at the party's conference in 2004, and earlier this week the party confirmed that they stood by it. But a Liberal Democratic spokesman added, our manifesto sets out what we will do in government. This policy is not in our manifesto. So that's doublespeak. This is currently the legal age for watching and appearing in pornographic movies is 18. Well, see, age really has nothing to do with it. Why do you think they've degraded the whole of society? And you understand, too, it's intergenerational. We've all been contaminated. Everyone who's listening to this show has been brought up contaminated with what you thought was entertainment contaminated beyond what your parents were, a little bit more, and, and they were contaminated a little bit more for before, before, before what their parents themselves were at. Their great-grandparents are the little ones who could come from the past and look and see what on the earth has happened. You see? The more you accept, the more you will accept. And, it, and then it's eventually it's no big deal. You can't watch any movie today without blood, guts, and lots and lots of sex, of all kinds. And it's all... Propaganda, it's all indoctrination and to this is okay And it's, it's, it's really beyond it now Because the children are, are taught all this stuff in school Very, very early And that's what Bertrand Russell says If we can teach them this stuff in school And when they're pre-pubertal He says encourage sexual activity They'll never bond with anyone in their life And that was the intention of, of, the, of their group Never bonding in for life no families. They don't want families. And again, uh, Orwell's, not Orwell, but others said it too, um, that they all said the same thing, in fact. But you'll find that, um, H.G. Wells said, when the average person has no family to stand up around them, then government can speak right down to the individual with no one to help them. You'll be helpless. Psychologically, that, that alone disables you. You crumble. So that's what's happening there. That's your beautiful liberal Democrats. And believe you me, they'll go a lot further. This is pushing the envelope step by step by step by step. That's all it is. Because they want intergenerational sex altogether. There's a lot of paedophiles involved in all of this. And see people who are are really into uh, lots and lots of pornography when they're young. And when they're fed pornography along with violence, you're watching combinations of movies with them, both in it, and sometimes one or the other. Uh, then they both get intertwined together, violence and so on, and pornography. And, and that is where they get their kicks, is where you're doing something naughty. Perverts love to do something naughty. That's why they're having all these fetishes and so on. They're fixed with fetishes. It's imprinted in their brains often. And now they want power to make sure that they create their kind of world. To destroy all the old Remember what they said To bring in the new world order They must destroy all of the old world order That means all your cultures Your moralities Everything has to go out the window And that's happened That's happened And just to follow that one up there Here's in the telegraph Same country again Britain And it says here 3rd of May 2010, a Christian preacher is arrested for saying homosexuality is a sin. The guy was set up, I can tell by the writer. A Christian street preacher was arrested and locked in a cell for telling a passerby that homosexuality is a sin in the eyes of God. And uh, originally posted the 2nd of May 2010. Dale McAlpine was charged with causing harassment, alarm, or distress. Now, you remember what it's like now, with someone or, uh, someone can actually charge you with distressing them. After a homosexual police community support officer, you actually, you've got garbage support officers, uh, bylaw for smokers uh, officers, and you've got homosexual police community support officers. No kidding. And it's not country. Oh overheard the minister reciting a number of sins referred to in the Bible, including blasphemy, drunkenness, and same-sex relationships. The 42-year-old Baptist, who preached Christianity in Wokington, Cumbria, for years said he did not mention homosexuality while delivering a sermon from the top of Stepladder, but admitted telling a passing shopper that he believed it went against the word of God. Police officers are alleging that he made the remark in a voice loud enough to be overheard by others and have charged him with using abusive or insulting language contrary to the Public Order Act. Mr. McAlpin was taken to the police station in the back of a marked van and locked in a cell for seven hours on April 20th, said the incident was amongst the the worst experiences of his life. I felt deeply shocked and humiliated that I had been arrested in my own town and treated like a common criminal in front of people I know, he said. My freedom was taken away on the hearsay of someone who disliked what I said, and I was charged under a law that doesn't apply. Christian campaigners have expressed alarm that the Public Order Act, introduced in 1986 to tackle violent rioters and football hooligans, is being used to curb religious free speech. So, that's Great Britain. What a, a sewer it's turned into a utter sewer back after these messages hi folks I'm Alan Watt and this is cutting through the matrix and we'll go to the phones now and there's there's Tony and Massachusetts there. Are you there, Tony?
0: Yes. Can you hear yes. me? Yes.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I had a. Uh, just want to say, great show. I've listened to it for about about three or four years now. The question I had for you is, um, well, first is a statement. In view of the uh, prostitute relationship or the horish relationship that organized religion has had over the many, many eons of time, or, century, or not centuries, centuries of time, with the uh, political element of the world and the elite, the globalists, mm-hmm. uh, we know that uh, the uh, it's surprising, or well, not surprising, that they've been eerily silent, as, aside for a few of them, they've really been eerily silent uh, in regards to the things that are coming down upon the, uh, the world right now, mm-hmm. uh, this, this agenda that's Being forward in fact a lot of them even come out and stand behind it yeah now uh, my question for you is uh, at some point uh, uh, we know that at some point and you've even mentioned the fact that they want to bring in their own new religion and in fact they may uh, they they don't they don't they show kind of a hostility a love-hate relationship with organized religion as we know it Mm -hmm. today yeah and uh, do you see at some point them (laughs) At some point, just cutting them loose, saying, hey, we don't need you anymore. You've served your purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, our relationship with you is over. Um, and I'm talking about all the religions, especially, uh, the, the Christian, the Christendom as we know it. Uh, Christendom has been, uh, absolutely, absolutely reprehensible in their conduct, uh, preaching mm-hmm. one thing and then, of course.
1: Doing another. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem with all, see, all mainstream religions end up uh, supporting the state, and that's that's money, the commercial system, uh, and the wealthy. And, of course, uh, it's no secret that even the Church of England um, would often, the people who came into the Church of England at the top traditionally used to either come from the, the wealthiest families, the noble families, and go into the army or into the priesthood, and they would become the bishops of England and so on. So it's always it's always been kind of wishy-washy in England, but tied completely to the system of monarchy and uh, elitism and rulership, and but having uh, an obedient, quiet society. So that 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 part's all true. Um, Roman Catholicism has already been changed uh, drastically since the 60s, and it's got a lot of, a lot of the New Age concepts within it as well. And it's become a lot of uh, very politically correct in some areas with different priests and so on, uh, giving out almost a, a completely new Catholic version of, uh, of theology. And that's now accepted with the younger priests. So that's changing, too, because the, the, the New World Order, and that's why you'll see the big people going over to the Vatican. You never destroy a big organization which controls or helps control the minds and morality of millions of people. You want to use it. And, but you'll change it over time till it suits your purpose into a new world order. And that's where the Catholic Church is going now. It's only mainly those Christians uh, who are, belong to the smaller sects or the US sects who are still trying to hold on to their traditional family beliefs. That's the difference. In Britain, the family's a mess, an absolute mess now. It's almost non-existent. Uh, so it's only in the U.S. now you have any semblance of using a religion which also uh, uh, gives security to your culture and safety to your children and each other and gives you a healthy relationship. It's, it's the last country on earth with that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Outside the Muslim countries, I should say. But thanks for the question. I wish I had more time to go into all of this because there's so much to it. Maybe for another night, I'll do some more on this. From Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, where God's go with you.